A friend once told me about an elementary school workbook from a Christian curriculum. At the bottom of each page was a note that said, Jesus says, turn the page. My husband Dave went to a university with an evangelical bent. He tells the story of getting up to leave a class, only to find the classroom door blocked by a student who said he was waiting to discern whether it was God's will that he go to the left or to the right. I think some things don't warrant consultation with the divine. Things such as hair color, which clothes to wear on a given day, and what movie to go see. But for some decisions, we do feel the need to ask for God's help, and such discernment can be exhausting. When I hear instructions on how to discern God's will, they often get translated by my brain into a medieval monastic manual. I picture hours of prayer on my knees, strict and rigid schedules, and blocks of time without a single social or humorous thought running through my mind. Instead, I'm completely focused on the crucifix in front of me. In addition, I'm always wearing a brown robe with a hood, and beautiful Gregorian chants can be heard in the background. If only I could spend a few days like this, I think, I would know, really know, exactly what God's will is for my life. It would come in the form of an insight handed down from on high. The problem is that being a mother of two, working a full-time job, and being prone to snarky thoughts all tend to get in the way of a discernment process that looks like the monastic life. Who has that kind of time or space or discipline? To be honest, I've only carried around the monastic image of discernment for the past 15 or 20 years. I didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition. I came to the Episcopal Church in my early 20s. Before then, I was in an evangelical tradition, and images of discernment were those of a close relationship with Jesus, close in the way of best friends. I thought that if I loved Jesus enough and made him my best friend, he would always tell me what I needed to do, sometimes even by speaking out loud to me. But most times I imagined he wouldn't need to actually say it. I would just know deep in my heart, in the form of a deep peace that nothing could shake. I think that might be true for some people, some of the time. But the problem is this. If that's the only kind of image one has for the process of discernment, then whenever there's confusion about what path to take in life, that uncertainty can be seen as a failure of faith or as a lack of piety. And I think for most of us, discernment isn't simple. Most of us struggle from time to time with it, even struggle a lot with it maybe, even those who have tremendous faith. So waiting in a brown robe for an insight that comes from on high or trying to have a relationship with Jesus exactly like the one I have with my best friend both of those discernment methods can be frustrating and exhausting. And yet the act of discernment is central to the Christian life. We see this in today's epistle reading. Our reading from Romans comes at a transition point in that letter. Paul has just spent the first 11 chapters giving a theological explanation of the gospel. How to think about who God is, who we are in relation to God, and how God saves us. And so now Paul turns to ethics, 
If this is the gospel, then how are we to live? But before Paul can talk about what a life lived in Christ looks like, Paul has to deal with how we know what God's will is in the first place. How do we know how God wants us to live? How do we know what is good and acceptable and perfect? How do we discern God's will for our lives? Paul says that we know what is good and acceptable and perfect by the renewing of our minds. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God. In other places, Paul calls this putting on the mind of Christ. We know what we need to do by seeing God, ourselves, one another, and the world around us as Christ sees them. Paul gives us a glimpse in this passage of what it looks like to have a renewed mind. It means not thinking of ourselves more highly or more lowly than we ought. It means seeing ourselves as all members of one body, each with an important function. And it means seeing ourselves as members of one another, as inextricably linked in making each other who we are. So to recap today's epistle reading, Paul says that we can discern God's will by having a renewed mind, and that one way we can tell that our minds have been renewed is by how we live together. Great. But here's what we aren't told in this passage. How do we renew our minds to begin with? How do we put on the mind of Christ? How do we come to see things as God sees them? Now for Paul, this is about baptism. Through our baptism, we have been joined to Christ in his death and resurrection. We participate in the life of the resurrected Christ, and therefore our life is new as well. And that is what we believe. But in our own experience as Christians, we know that even though we may have been baptized on one particular day and in one particular place, we in fact spend our whole lives living into that baptism. We spend our whole lives putting on the mind of Christ and being transformed and being made new. And it is a long and arduous process. So yes, for Paul, the renewing of our minds may be linked to our baptism, but we have to grow into our baptism more and more every day. And so then the question becomes, what do we do? How do we live? So that every day the mind in us becomes more and more like the mind that was in Jesus. And at this point, the whole line of thought is no longer linear, but is entirely circular. How do we live? so that we can have more and more of the mind of Christ in us, so that then we can discern how to live. And here in the writing of this sermon, I confess, I became frustrated. But despite the apparently circular nature of discernment, I do have a few ideas that I want to share. Maybe living the way God would have us live isn't so much about coming up with a right answer or figuring out the things we should do or should not do or finagling an answer from on high or even one from within our heart. Maybe when it comes to discerning God's will, we just start by loving God and worshiping God and putting ourselves in those places where we feel God's presence. Presbyterian minister John Ortberg wrote, I can't make myself loving or joyful. 
A tree's job is not to try to bear fruit. The tree's job is to abide near the river. And the fruit doesn't ripen overnight. When I'm in the flow of the Spirit, I am moved toward greater love and more joy. And the blessing doesn't stop with me. Just like a tree doesn't try to bear fruit, but instead abides near the river and the fruit takes care of itself, so too maybe our job is simply to abide in God. And then what is good and acceptable and perfect is made known to us and through us. It's one of the reasons we come to church on Sunday. It's one of the reasons some of us chose a liturgical tradition for our church home. We gather Sunday after Sunday to pray with our words and with our bodies, to hear scripture, to take communion, and to share a life in Christ with one another. Our time is made sacred through the rhythm of the church year, the rhythm of weekly worship, and the pattern of our daily prayer services. And through it all, we hope and trust that our minds and our lives are being shaped more and more by the gospel. We hope and trust that when hard decisions come our way, that maybe we can listen for that wisdom embedded in our very lives. I think God often speaks to us in subtle and not-so-subtle ways through our lives. Still, some decisions are so large and carry such weight that we need someone to help us, someone that we can hear with our ears. And aside from actually hearing the voice of Christ, which no doubt some have, we seek to know God's will and way for us through the voice of others, through the church, through the body of Christ that lives today in flesh and blood and mouths and vocal cords. It's why the first step in the discernment process for those who wish to be ordained in the Episcopal Church consists of six to twelve months spent discerning with a group of church members. Our way forward is often made known to us through those who walk life's journey with us. And finally, we can trust in God's mercy. See, I don't believe that God calls us just once or to just one thing, and then that if we miss it, we're doomed to a life outside of the one God had planned for us. Instead, if we learn anything from the resurrection, it's that God is always at work in the world making things new, redeeming our poor choices, offering us new ones over and over again, and giving us friends along the way to listen with us. Episcopal priest and writer Barbara Brown Taylor sums it up beautifully by saying this. She writes, If my own experience can be trusted, then God does not call us once but many times. There are calls to faith and calls to ordination, but in between there are calls to particular communities and calls to particular tasks within them calls into and out of relationships, as well as calls to seek God wherever God may be found. Sometimes those calls ring clear as bells, and sometimes they are barely audible. But in any case, we are not meant to hear them all by ourselves. It was part of God's genius to incorporate us as one body, so that our ears have other ears, other eyes, minds, hearts, and voices to help us interpret what we've heard. Together we can hear our calls and together we can answer them. If only we can listen for the still, small voice that continues to speak to us in the language of our lives. Amen.